I know that we have a lot of families that are traveling, but I'm thrilled to have you here with me as we open God's Word. I'm going to ask you to begin turning now to Luke. Actually, go ahead and turn to Acts first. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I hope you picked up one of these little outlines when you came in. I chose today to not give you 500 blanks to fill in, but instead just let you write whatever part you want as we ask the three questions that we have asked repeatedly as we open God's Word. <clears throat> it's a good pattern. It's such a good pattern, I wanted to just list it one more time because you can always follow this pattern anytime you're reading God's Word. I've been told that when a pastor preaches, he should be setting a pace so that when people study on their own, they learn something about how to approach the Scripture. So I hope that we're helping you understand something about how to approach the Scripture as we ask these three questions. What does it say? What does it call out of my heart? And what do I need to do? Now, I want to be careful of that second question. I sometimes say, what does it say? What does it say to me? But I want to be careful that we don't decide that God's Word says something to me that it doesn't say to you. I mean, because God's Word is consistent. But it does call things out of my heart where I may be in my particular journey as I look into God's Word and I measure in God's Word what He's saying as I seek to follow Him. By the way, the last song that you were singing, I meant to comment on that. Sometimes we sing songs, and quite candidly, we don't know that we can totally recommend to you everything written by that particular church or by that particular writer, because sometimes there's some of their songs border on a little something. We go, well, go look that up, and you might not should listen to every single song they have, because it might not be good Bible teaching in their songs, which is important to us that we sing good theology, not just study good theology. But the group City Alight, Australia, I believe. I have it somewhere down on that side of the globe. Uh, City Alight. Uh, the songs that they write, it's amazing. They write them to be simple. They write them for you to sing. And they write them with good Bible teaching. So anytime you want to ask your smart device to play a particular group, ask it to shuffle City Alight and listen to some of the songs that you might see from them and learn from them like the one we just sang. Well, if you've been with us for the last few months at any point, you know that we've been in a series that we've entitled Encountering Jesus. We couldn't cover even every kind of encounter that Jesus had in the Gospels, but we tried to look week by week at different people that he talked with and see what we could learn in our own lives as we watched those encounters with Jesus. Now today we come to what I put on the top of your note sheet, the last encounter with the disciples. Let me read just a few of the verses in Acts chapter 1. In verse 4 it says, While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when the disciples come together, they ask, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going up, they were while he was going up into heaven, suddenly two men with white clothes stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going up into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Pray with me. Father, we open your word with reverence. We pray now that you would speak to us in this last encounter with the disciples, that we would see something about how we are to follow Jesus as we learn from what he said to them. So we invite you now to speak to us in a personal way, even as we pray, Lord God, speak to my heart. Can you pray that out loud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll notice at the top of the note sheet, I've given reference to Matthew, to Luke, and to Acts. We'll be looking at those other passages. So if you uh, have a smart device or if you have a Bible uh, like this in your hand, you'll be ready to turn and follow. So let's ask those questions. What does it say? What does it call out of my heart? And what do I need to do? Here's the first question. What does it say? Turn back to uh, Luke and look. Remember, Dr. Luke wrote two volumes, right? He wrote this first volume, Luke, the gospel, we call the Gospel of Luke. He wrote it to explain the works of Jesus and to present him to the reader. Then he wrote the second volume in the book of Acts. And it says, these are the things that Jesus began to do, but now we're going to talk about how he continued to work. So now we come to, back to Luke, and in verse chapter 24, looking with me to verse 45, it says, He opened their minds to understand the scripture. And then he said to them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. What does it say? Jesus explained to them that what had just happened, his death, his burial, his resurrection, was according to plan. You know, many have tried to study the life of Jesus. Some have even said he was a great teacher whose life got cut short. <laughs> Don't you believe that for a minute? His death was according to the foreknowledge and the plan of God. His death had always been planned. All the way back to the garden, we see the foreshadowing of the Messiah who would come. The one who would take dominion back over Satan and would crush him as he would bruise his heel, he would stand on his head. All the way from that promise when God gave to Abraham, when he said, through your seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. All the way in the promise of the 
of the system where they were taught how to sacrifice. And as the priestly system gave the sacrifice with the, the lamb that would take it out of the camp and the lamb that would be slain in the blood presented on the mercy seat, all of those were the foreshadowings of Jesus. The Bible says he opened their minds to understand the scripture. He explained to them how this always was the plan. Did you get that? All the way through the Old Testament. He said it was always planned there. This is what was written, that Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The plan of God. God always had that plan. But his plan was when Jesus died and when Jesus was raised, that forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name. So the plan of God was that Jesus would come and die and be raised from the dead. But the plan of God was that following that resurrection, the announcement would be made. Your sin has been paid for, paid in full. You just sang it. On that old rugged cross, he paid the price of your sin. Not his, but ours. And that the response to that, take note of it, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. You see, the announcement that he died and was buried and was raised is a call to repent and have your sins forgiven. It's always a two-sided coin. Repentance and belief. Turning from, turning to. Bringing God what we've done wrong, him giving us forgiveness that we don't deserve because of Jesus. That's the plan for Messiah. But nested in all of these is his promise of the Spirit. Did you notice? We read it in Acts. Now we read it here. He said, look, I'm sending you, verse 49, what my Father promised. What is this promise of the Spirit? Well, Jesus in teaching his disciples says, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to live in you. He said, I'm going to bring back to your remembrance all the things that I've said. As Jesus promised them that he would comfort them and he would guide them and he would lead them, the promise of the Spirit is when Jesus said, it's going to be better for you that I go. <laughs> really? Better that you go? Well, better that you die and pay for our sin and that sacrifice be complete, but also better that it won't be limited to one place here on planet Earth. Aren't you glad this morning that there's more than one place you can worship? Anywhere you go, God is there. Aren't you glad that you can worship God because his spirit seeking you has brought you to a relationship with him? And the promise of this spirit, you may see next week, I can't tell you for sure the full scope of the message, but you may see next week in Peter's message when he said this promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. This promise of the Spirit, as we were told, he would come and write on our hearts. He would change our stony hearts and give us soft hearts. He would write his very presence on the heart of his children. The Spirit is promised, promised here and promised again in Acts. Now look at what he says. He says, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. There's something about waiting on 
the work of God's Spirit. We have to do it individually. Johnny talked about it as he prayed. We have to do it collectively as a church. But here we're finding the crossover between the age of Messiah on planet Earth to the understanding of the church, where the church is now the body of Christ, representing Christ to a lost world. And so this promise of the Spirit that we're to wait for is very clear. But we also see that there's a mentioning of authority and of power. Let me show you both of those. I use a paper clip so I can turn fast, all right? So I can get there faster than you. In, in Matthew chapter 28, perhaps you know this as a child taught the Great Commission. When Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, verse 19 in Matthew 28. But if you back up to verse 18 and see what the therefore is, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples. What is this word authority? Well, let me show it to you before I explain it. Go, go to Acts now. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and look at it. In Acts chapter 1, they said, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 6. And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that are set by his own authority. See that word? What's the difference in authority and power? Authority has to do with the position of being able to rule and reign. Power has to do with a presence that moves us to be like Christ, not in our own strength, yet not I, but Christ in me. So the difference in authority and power is very clear for us as we respond to this last encounter with Jesus. I never quite know when to dive off into a Greek word, but I, I, I remind you that you can study for yourself in the Blue Letter Bible you can dial it up online. It's, it's not something, I don't know if you can buy a copy or not. I don't think you can. But Johnny said sometimes you tell them to get one and you can't just buy one, okay? But you can look it up, all right? And you can look up in the Blue Letter Bible and study every word. And you can study it in English, okay? What it says so you can chew on it a little bit. For those of you that speak more than one language, you know what it's, what it's like when a person says, so how, how do you say, uh, how do you say, and the, the word comes to mind, but then you have to find the right word to say it or explain it. And sometimes I've, I've heard missionaries say, you know, this word's so much better in this language than it is in English. <laughs> they try to explain it. I want you to meditate for a moment on this word authority and this word power. The word authority is the word exousia. Now, I know you're not blessed yet, but hang on, all right? It comes from two words. First, the verb to be, I am, okay, to be, and then out of. So it literally means out of the being. When it comes to a king or someone in position of authority, it's coming out of their being. They don't earn it. They don't gain it. It's not at risk. Nobody can take it from them. They are in the chair. 
That's what God says about his authority. He has given that authority to his son. He, I want to say accommodated, it always kind of feels wrong when I say it, but he became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived in the likeness of man, and now he's been raised from the dead, and all authority has been given to Jesus. He is the one with whom we have to do, the scripture says. He is the one we have to give an account of our life to. And what we do with him determines all of eternity. But he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples. But here in Acts chapter 1, he says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons in the Father's authority. In his being. That's who he is. That's his plan. Aren't you glad he has one? The times you don't know if you, you can see it. But he has a plan. And he's working out of his position to rule and reign. I dial back to being on staff with the International Mission Board. I had a commitment to speak in New York to a group of pastors. I was there, and it was almost exactly one week after 9-11. It was, it was very close. It was very, very fresh. I know that we have some young people in the room who have heard of 9-11. <laughs> and then there's some of us that experience 9-11 and remember that sense of fear and wondering what was going on in our world. And as I spoke to that group of pastors, I had them turn to Acts chapter 1. And I said, I want to show you that we're tempted to ask the wrong question. Look at what Jesus says. They came to him, verse 6, and they said, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, wrong question. Not for you to know the times and seasons in the Father's authority. Wrong question. I thought this morning of making the whole sermon, wrong question. Think about how many times we ask God something that, that has nothing to do with what he's doing. And we come to him and we, we want him to answer our question and he says, wrong question. Let, let me tell you what I'm doing and let me get you on the right page of what I'm answering. And my answer will take care of your question. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons and the Father's authority. He's on the throne. He's ruling. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What is this power? How is it different from authority? Well, dial up your blue letter Bible, and you'll look behind this word, and you'll see the word dynamis, where we get our word dynamite. And the promise of Jesus was that he was going to put dynamite in the heart of his children. He was going to put inside of us his very power would come upon us. And when he came upon us with his power submitted to his authority, we would see his plan for his disciples. What is the plan of Jesus for his disciples? Well, if you, we looked at Luke, we looked at Matthew, we looked at Acts, we could look at John. For if we look at John, we see at the end of Jesus in his final encounter, he's telling Peter to follow him. 
That always kind of blows my mind. He's getting ready to leave earth. He says, but follow me. Follow me. That is the call of a disciple. Even though we can't physically fall in on the dirt road behind Jesus, the call of the disciple is that we follow him. And how do we follow him? We submit to his authority and we watch his power at work. And we're told his disciples would be the ones who would receive power. And when that power comes, it would turn us into witnesses. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But let's move on to ask the second question. What do these things call out of my heart? When we look at this encounter and we look at Jesus responding to them as he's about to leave planet Earth, what does it call out of my heart? First, I have to confess, I often don't understand God's plan. Am I the only one in the house? I often don't understand his plan. And I come to him and say, don't quite get this. You know, he's, he's made me. Sometimes I, I complain back to him that he made me this way. <laughs> but he's made me a strategist. That's, that's, what I, that's what I am. I think through plans and steps of action and look at what ought to be done. And he often humbles me under his authority that I don't have a strategy for this. I don't have a plan for this. I don't know what to do about this. Can you imagine the disciples? They're following Jesus. Now he's dead. What do you do with that? He's on a cross. What do you do with that? He's been raised from the dead, so where is he now? Well, he appears in the room. Now he's gone. I mean, you know, I mean, think about what all they were going through. But think about what you go through. What does it call out of your heart? When you see Jesus talking about his plan, we have to say, but Lord, I often don't understand your plan. But I can say, I'm thankful for the promise of your presence. He's promised he would never leave us and never forsake us. He made that promise repeatedly in the Old Testament to his people. The book, book of Hebrews brings out that he's made that promise to his children now, that he will never leave us or forsake us. In Matthew 28, when he's giving this great commission, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and then how does it end? And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Part of God's confronting us even today in this encounter with his disciples is reminding us that he will never leave us. Even when we don't understand his plan, we can be thankful for his promise. But did you also notice in here that we are part of his the plan for his disciples? We are part of what he's doing. His plan was, someone one time writing a, a, a little fake story about Jesus, said he, he got to heaven and one of the angels walked up to him and said, so tell us about this great display of glory. And Jesus said, well, I died on a cross and I was raised from the dead. So tell us about the kingdom. He said, well, I turned it over to just a handful of guys. And they said, so what's plan B? <laughs> there is no plan B. We are plan A. The one who made the plan to send Messiah to die to be raised from the dead 
has said to his disciples, I am giving to you the power to represent me, the power to let my presence through you be my witness. Now, I thought about this word witness, and I I want you to think about this for a minute. When we're told that we would be witnesses, the first witness is the Spirit to me. Isn't that what Romans 8 says? It says, those who are being led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. And he has sent to us a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then he says, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This morning, I want to ask you, do you have a confidence? Do you have an assurance? Do you have an absolute settled assurance that you're a child of God? It's not my place to talk you into it. It's God's place to convince you as his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Well, now, what about your feelings? I am not talking about your feelings. The feelings are the caboose on the train, all right? It's the fact, and then it's your faith, and then it's the feeling. It's good to have the feeling, but when you don't have the feeling, can you go back to the fact, I know Jesus died for me, I know he was buried and he was raised, and I know that I trusted him when I heard the message of salvation, and I put my trust in him, and now his spirit bears witness in my spirit that I'm a child of God? How can you know when you're being led? Hey, I'm not talking about every single moment, but I am talking about a direction. It's not perfection. It is a direction. And you can say that the spirit of God is working in me, directing me, and leading me, picking me up when I fall, dusting me off when I'm dirty, keeping me following Jesus. That's the first witness that we see represented in all this when the Spirit's coming and he's coming to live in the hearts of his disciples. He's bearing witness to me, but he's also bearing witness through me. Often I hear people say, I don't know how to tell anybody else about Jesus. Well, can you tell them that you follow Jesus? I mean, can can you get that far? Can, can you get to the place that you can say, I, I know that I sinned and I know that I needed a Savior and I put my trust in Him and I know I'm not perfect, but I know He'll never leave me. He'll, I mean, can you start with something like that? I mean, can you say as you tell others, He told these disciples, hey, you're the witnesses of this. You saw this. But then He made clear that it wasn't just for them, but it was for all of us that would follow because of their testimony that we would be witnesses so it calls out of my heart that his spirit witnesses to me and his spirit witnesses to through me but it also calls out of my heart that his plan is for this message to move i don't see any way you can look at this final encounter with jesus or read the bible new testament as a whole and find that god saved you just so you could sit around and feel saved Never his plan. If that were his plan, then why wouldn't he just take us on to heaven? Why did he leave us here? Because his plan has always been that we would be his ambassadors, that we would be his representatives, that we would be the one through whom this message could move. Is your Bible open to Acts 1, verse 8? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. One of the first things you do in Bible college or seminary training is you compare Matthew 28 to Acts 1-8. Matthew 28, we're commanded, go and make disciples. Acts 1-8, it says the Spirit's power is going to move you to the ends of the earth. So which one is it? The answer is yes. The things that God commands us to do, he empowers us to do by his Spirit. The thing that God calls us to do, he empowers us to do by his spirit. And we see here that the intention of God is not just that it stops with me and you. The intention of God is always bigger than that. You know why we, as followers of Christ, take a stand against racism? Because we see the very clear plan of God. He always planned. He told these racist Jews, he said to you, hey guys, it was always the plan of God that forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed to all the nations, all the ethnos, all the peoples. It's built into the gospel message that it comes to us and it moves through us. Never with the intention that we just sit around the campfire and sing, aren't we glad we're followers of Christ? Hey, there's a place for that. But when it stirs up inside of us, it moves us to see others who are not followers of Christ. He always intended for his message to move. So, that's what it says. A little bit of what it says. There's a lot of what it says. There's what it calls out of my heart, at least a little bit of what it calls out of my heart. So what do I need to do? How would we respond today to this text in corporate worship? What would we do? Well, the first thing we would do is we would stop and worship, just like we've been singing, just like we've been praying. Jesus, you paid a debt you did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And because of the plan of God, which was always in place from before creation, you came and Messiah, the Christ, took the weight of sin upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but God laid on Jesus the sin of us all. And by his stripes, we are healed. Oh God, I come to Jesus and worship that he fulfilled the plan of Messiah. He fulfilled the debt of my sin, paid in full. I can sing it. I can say it. I believe that he died for me. As I move to worship, I need to learn how to cling to this message. You know, often as we talk to people about sharing their faith, we're going to have a a time of training, we can just figure out when it fits best on the calendar, of hoping that some of you will come and we can just sit over a cup of coffee and talk about how to have gospel conversations, how to talk with somebody else about what God's done in your life. But one of the few things that I always want to say in teaching about sharing this message of Christ, it needs to be so clear to you that you could hold it in your hand. As profound as it is, 
You could hold it in your hand. You can't give it to someone if you can't clearly say what it is. What is it? It's what Jesus said in the end of Luke. That Messiah would die and be raised from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. So what is it that we are sinners, we need a Savior, Jesus died for our sin, was raised from the dead, and anyone that will call on him can be saved. Anyone with the witness of his spirit knocking at their heart can say, I know I need a Savior, and put trust in him. That's the message. And this morning, I believe that looking at this text, it should move us to cling to the simplicity with yet the profoundness of this simple message. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised from the dead according to the scripture. So what do I need to do about it? I would challenge you to live in an awareness of his presence. The scripture says, where can you go from his presence? Hey, he's there. Wherever you are, he's there. That not only moves us to holiness, because we know everything's laid open and bare before the eyes of him, but it moves us to expectation. God is here. God is doing something. When you talk to someone, follower of Christ, not a follower of Christ, when you talk with them, do you have an awareness of his presence? That he's going before you. That he was already there when you got there. And he'll be there when you leave. But there's something unique about him sending you, his ambassador, to that place at that time to represent him. And I would challenge you to sacrificially long for this message to move. Long for it. There should be something in our hearts when we see starving children, when we see abuse, when we see neglected peoples, we should long for his message to move there. When we stand on our tiptoes and try to peek around the world, it's amazing to me, you can watch a newscast and He'll say, here's some headlines from around the world. And in about 30 seconds, <laughs> you're going to hear four things happening around the world. And that's so silly to think that that's any kind of representation of what's really happening around the world. But since we have been told to pray for the peoples of Burma, Myanmar, and for years we've longed for the gospel to go there, and for years we've seen short-term missionaries be able to visit, but 
Very few, if any, live there. We long for the fulfillment of this plan of God spoken from Jesus. And if his church ever quits longing for this message to move, we can't expect any power working in us because his witness is not just to us but through us. There should be a constant longing that this message moves. And a spirit-filled disciple will always say, where you lead me, I will follow. Where you send me, I will go. And where I show up, you will be there, and I will be your representative. This last encounter that Jesus had with his disciples became an instruction to all the disciples that would follow. What about you today? Do you long for your children and grandchildren to know Jesus? Do you long for your friends and co-workers to know Christ? Do you want to be a part of discipling others as you follow him? Do you want to see the gospel go places where it's not? That's the expectation that Jesus planted that day in his disciples. And I believe with the authority of scripture, that's the expectation that he's planted in me and you. I noticed as I read in Matthew and then as I read in the book of Acts, two things that go hand in hand. In Matthew, he says, I'll be with you even to the ends of the ages. And in Acts, he says, to the ends of the earth. Part of this commission that he's given his disciples is believe he's got a plan to one day wrap it up. But until then, we long for this message to go everywhere because Jesus deserves to be worshipped. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this message of Christ, this concise message that he was buried and he was raised from the dead and that he's given us a ministry of reconciliation to declare to the world that when we repent and turn to him, we can know our sins are forgiven. Father, I pray for our church family. I pray that we collectively will have the burden to see this message move. That we collectively will have a longing to sacrifice and see that this message goes beyond these walls. And that we would long for spirit-filled disciples who know the power and the presence of your spirit in our hearts to be willing to go anywhere, anytime for your glory. So Lord, let these last words of this last encounter to the disciples here on earth become your first words 
of moving us to a world that needs Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.